We're starting this new series in Revelation, so let me read from chapter 1. You can turn your device on, follow on the screen behind me, or do the traditional thing and open up the Bible that you have brought with you, which also works incredibly well. But listen now for the Word of God. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who was, sorry, from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all people on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me, a loud voice like the trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And I'm going to stop there. Because I have to read them again tonight and I need to practice them. Let's pray for a second. Father, uh, we want to thank you for this day and we want to thank you for your faithfulness through the celebrations in life, like Harvest Sunday, when we remember your goodness to us in so many ways. But we want to thank you as well for your faithfulness when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you are the God who is with us. And we thank you, Lord, that as we read your word, we are reminded of who you are in every season of our lives. Life may change, but your word endures forever. And today we step into that truth and we proclaim that truth because it's written here, but more than that, because it is your word and you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Spirit, speak to us, we pray to every heart, to every mind. And the people of God said, amen, amen. So I was out this morning um, early with my dog walking, do this kind of walkie-pray thing early in the morning. I've got a bit of a routine going now, myself and Brody. But fairly early on in the walk, he paused and he sniffed and he arched his back and did that thing that dogs do that required me to use one of these. 
Now, this is not the one I used earlier, obviously. That would have been interesting. That was fine. Lifted it up, put it in the bin. Had to get my phone out for the torch because it was dark and weird, but yeah, you have an intent. And walked on a bit further. And then Brody broke the terms of the agreement because he stopped the second time and sniffed and arched his back and did that thing that dogs do, but I only had brought one of these with me. So what do I do? Because it's not a me to leave it, because I'm the kind of person that gives off about people that don't lift their dog business. You know what I mean? I can't be having that. So what do I do? What do I do? What? And the only thing I had with me was one of these. had to pray that nothing, not coronavirus, not anything came through the mask this morning as I picked up and looked for the nearest bin to dispose of. And again, that's not the mask I used this morning either. Why am I telling you that? Because this is designed for lifting those things up. This is not designed for lifting those things up. This is designed for something totally different. I think the reason I share that story with you, well, it's funny, it happened, it's real. But also, when we read the book of Revelation, I think sometimes we have been in the habit of making it do something that it's not designed to do. Revelation is given to us for one purpose and one purpose only. And if I said to you, what comes to your mind when you think of the book of Revelation? I guarantee you we would have a hundred different answers. And that's the reason we're preaching on Revelation at the minute. Because Revelation is about one thing and one thing only. And that is Jesus Christ. And it is what it looks like to live a life devoted to and following Jesus when life is difficult. That's what the book of Revelation is about. It is about Jesus Christ and what it looks like to follow him through difficult times. And all the other answers that came to your mind might be secondary or third or, or, or might not even be right, I'm afraid. But first and foremost, Revelation is a book about Jesus. There's a couple of background things as we tee this up and then I'll tell you what we're going to do this morning. So the first thing is Revelation was written by John. Traditionally, we have thought that John was the John of Jesus and John, one of the disciples who wrote the Gospel of John. More recent scholarship suggests he probably wasn't the same John, that he was another John, a Christian leader in the early church. I don't mind what you decide to believe on that one. Um, but he was called John. And he writes from the island of Patmos, which is a Greek island. And he was there because he was in exile there for preaching the word of God, for being a church leader, he, had to, he was forced to leave um, his churches and go to Patmos. And we're told he was caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day. And um, what, what that means is it was the Sabbath, kind of like today, and he was praying. And whilst he was praying, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he had a vision and he wrote the vision down. And what he saw in the vision is what we have in this book. It's spirit revealed. And I guess I want to share with you four things this morning about Revelation. If we run out of time, we'll share three things, but we'll try and share four things. We don't want to miss the bacon buddies. Um, 
We're calling today's sermon, The Last Word. And we're going to be thinking about the prophetic and thinking about poetry and thinking about pastoral and thinking about praise. So there's four Ps for you, a good Presbyterian sermon and a bit extra as well on the side. There we go. So we're going to start with a prophetic lens for Revelation. If you're following your Bible, taking notes, keep an eye on verses 1 to 3 as we go through this. Most people think about Revelation, they think about the end times. True? You have pictures in your mind of sitting on an airplane. Do you remember sitting on an airplane, what that was like? Sitting on an airplane and and something happens and you look over and the person you were traveling with is gone, but their dentures are in the seat beside you. But they've vanished. Or you're doing your shopping in Tesco's and the queue's massive and you blink and, and the person in front of you has vanished and all you have is their shopping, their oranges and eggs rolling over the floor. Sorry, I'm moving and causing problems for the guys at home. Sorry. I'll try my best to stand still. I find it difficult. I'll try my best to stand still. But do you know what I mean? We think of revelation. We think of left behind. We think of people going boo, 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 and disappearing up into heaven and the rest of us or the rest of you or the rest of somebody kind of standing going, oh, this is awkward. What happens next? Would it surprise you if I told you that's not in Revelation? There's nothing in Revelation about the rapture. In fact, there's very little in the Bible that paints a picture of it. And a couple of verses that do, there's all kinds of different ways to read those. We'll come on to that later in the series. But that idea of the left behind stuff, that idea of rapture, that idea of, it's, it's a hundred year old theology called dispensationalism. It's okay, there's no test at the end, don't panic. Dispensationalism, that idea that history is broken up into certain stages and phases and dispensations and that we are living in the end times, the last days at the moment. It was made famous by a theologian called Darby. Plymouth Brethren were really involved in it. And then it gathered a whole new life in Hollywood. Thought, let's make movies about that. And we'll write books called the Left Behind series. Here's the problem. I think there's all kinds of problems, but here's the problem, the main one. When the Bible talks about end times, it's not talking about 100 years. It's not talking about the days that we live in today. It's talking about the whole period from Jesus ascended into heaven until the day that he comes back, because he will come back one day. But when the Bible talks about end times, it's talking about, well, at least 2,000 years, and who knows how much longer. And we're no more in the end times now than we were in the end times when John wrote this letter to some churches that he had been leading. When John writes in verse 3, the time is near. It's the same thing that Jesus said when he said the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is amongst us. He said, be aware of what God is doing today. Not be fearful of what God might do in the future. Because to read a different kind of theology into that is so speculative. Jesus himself said, nobody knows the day they are that I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back, but nobody knows when. Not, Jesus said, not even I know when. The Father himself knows the time of the Son's return. And yet, 
Hundreds and hundreds of books and internet articles have been written equating things in this book to Europe and America and Barack Obama and speculating that Jesus is going to come back next Tuesday at 2.45 or whatever it is. And Jesus himself said, nobody knows. Nobody knows. It's speculative. Something I find really helpful, there's a, there's a diagram, a Venn diagram that a theologian called Gorman puts in one of his books. I find this really helpful when I think about how I understand Revelation and how we are going to approach this series in Revelation that we call Future Proof. Revelation is about the past, about John writing to the early church and particularly to seven early churches. It's about the present, what God is saying to us today, what God is doing today. And it is maybe going to give us a glimpse of the future, but it is not primarily a book about the future. It's about the past, and it's massively about the present, and it will give us a glimpse of the future. And I get this is counterintuitive from things you have grown up with in the past 50 years. The other thing, when you see the diagram, um, some people love to read Revelation as a code. There's secret codes in Revelation. You know, the whore of Babylon, what's that? Is that Europe? Is that, is that Donald Trump? Is that who, the, the dragon? Who's the dragon? All these things. And they try to decipher the codes. I want to suggest that this is not a code. That Revelation is a lens for us to understand more about Jesus and what he is doing in the world today and what he wants his church, you and I, to be like today. It is not something to be fearful of, but something to be embraced. Because all of the imagery that we have in Revelation is biblical imagery. It's not stuff that John has fancifully made up in his own mind as he's went on this trip with the Holy Spirit. All of the images in Revelation come from Old Testament prophets, from, from the Bible. The monsters, the dragons, all of that stuff we see littered throughout the Bible. And what I want to suggest, and we'll look more about this in the weeks to come, if you want to move more on the prophetic, the prophetic is a little bit about the future, but mostly about what God is doing in the present. Mostly about understanding God's word for today in real time. If you want to move more in the prophetic, my encouragement to you is you need to move more in scripture. If you want to hear what God is saying for today, you need to open your Bible. And God speaks in all kinds of ways, but, but primarily he speaks through his word. And what we see in Revelation, I'm going to suggest, is a capturing of what we see in the rest of the Bible. Let me press on. It's prophetic. It's also a poetry lens. What do I mean by that? Let me read something to you. Have you ever fallen in love? Have you ever fallen in love? Do you want to fall in love? Let me read this to you. See, love, it's interesting. Love, it starts with an environmental change, often involving interaction with other homo sapiens. 
Dopamine, which is created in the brain and adrenaline glands, enhances uh, the release of testosterone. Dopamine affects various organs, including the genitalia and sweat glands, as well as the senses. As a consequence of dopamine being released, mood and emotions are also influenced, leading to feelings of excitement and enhanced happiness. That's what love is. Sounds romantic, doesn't it? Let me tell you another thing that love is. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely, more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed, and every fair and fair sometime declines by chance of nature's changing course untrimmed. But, they, but thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou ost. Nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest. So long as men can breathe, our eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. That's love. But it's different, isn't it? One is one of the most famous poems, a love sonnet ever written. The other is what Wikipedia scientifically describes what happens in our body when love happens. One is biochemistry. The other is experience. Which is true? Which one is true? Both true. They're both true. They're just different ways of of looking at them. See, guys, Revelation, this book of Revelation, is not history to be deciphered and read forward. Revelation is poetry. What what I love about the Bible is that the the very start of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, is a Hebrew poem. It's Hebrew poetry at its very best. The very middle of the Bible is the Psalms. We call it the prayer book, the song book, the poetry book of the Bible. And the very last book of the Bible, Revelation, is poetry as well. Our Father, when he, he gives us Scripture, starts middle and end with poetry. Why, why does he do that? Because poetry is not about information. Poetry is an invitation to participation. Poetry is about experience. Eugene Peterson in his book, Reverse Thunder, about Revelation, says, poetry is not the language of objective explanation, but the language of imagination. It is an image of reality in such a way as to invite our participation in it. We do not have more information after we read a poem. We have more experience of it. I want to suggest that Revelation is poetry. It's an invitation to experience, to participate. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that the biggest problem with our Reformed theology is not the lack of knowledge. I, I love Reformed theology. I'm a Presbyterian minister because of Reformed theology. We, we have oodles of knowledge. But the biggest problem with Reformed theology is not the lack of knowledge and information, but the lack of experience. Today we're here to celebrate Harvest. Every one of us will open the book of Genesis and affirm that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. 
we will affirm what it says, that God made it and it was good. We will affirm that, that the fall happens, that sin came into the world and everything got broken and tainted. And we will affirm that, that we have this role in, in creation to partner with God to recycle and to care for the planet, not to exploit the planet, but to care for the planet. Are you with me? We have a theology of that, but how many of you recycle? How many of you throw coffee cups away and buy excess plastic and package everything in more packaging and more packaging and more packaging to make it look pretty? We have a theology of creation, but not exclusively, but many of us are weak when it comes to our participation in that theology, the practice of recycling and creation care. With theology of prayer, we believe that prayer is a, a biblical invitation that is powerful, that it's an invitation to experience God, to influence the mind of God, to bring about change in the world. We have a, th a strong theology of prayer. But yet when we have a prayer meeting in church, 30 people come to it. We struggle to pray. We struggle to prioritize prayer. We have good theology and good information, but we're weak on experience and practice. We have a strong theology about forgiveness. We prayed the Lord's Prayer earlier, didn't we? What did we all pray together? God, for, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I stood in the general, I sat in the General Assembly this week, the gathering of Presbyterians down. In, in Belfast to come together to, to debate and talk and learn and pray and lead our Presbyterian church forward. And, and the most emotional moment in the house was when a Presbyterian minister and a retired RUC officer stood at the front of the assembly and talked about their experience in the Troubles. One who had lived and worked through the Troubles, the RUC officer, had seen some terrible things. The, the other who who had lost his dad in the Troubles, who had been murdered by terrorists. And we talk a lot about legacy here in Northern Ireland. But there was two men who had endured as much pain as anyone, calling the church and calling Presbyterians to have a stronger theology of forgiveness saying if the country is going to move on, we have to trust God to be the one who brings about justice. We have to love and we have to forgive, as difficult as that is. I've never heard as long an applause in the General Assembly as after those two men spoke. Revelation as the final word in the Bible. Revelation is the final word in the Bible. It's not new information. It's not telling us something new that we don't already know. The rest of the Bible is, is what we've been given. Revelation is an invitation to participate in the story of God. Revelation is an invitation to participate in the story of God. It's poetry. 
It's a call for you and for I to take our theology and to live it out with God. There's a prophetic lens. There is a poetic lens. There's a pastoral lens. Keep an eye on verses four to five as as we talk through this. Initially, Revelation was dated around 90-something A.D. Many of your NIV commentary Bibles will say 90-something A.D. More recently, scholarship has suggested that Revelation was written 60-something A.D., 30 years earlier. The reason for that is in the 90-something A.D., the Roman emperor was domination, and there was no documented persecution of Christians at that time. So, if there was no persecution of Christians at that time, or very little, then some of the stuff we see in Revelation doesn't make as much sense. So scholars are now suggesting, actually, it was written in 60-something AD when Nero was the Roman emperor. Nero was horrendous to the church and to Christians. He crucified Christians left, right, and center. He threw garden parties and used Christians. He set them on fire to provide light for his guests as he was entertaining them. The church came under intense persecution at the time of Nero. Following his death, the Roman Empire went into turmoil for two years. There was a power grab. There was four different emperors trying to say, I'm in charge, I'm in charge, I'm in charge. There was battles, there was wars, there was conspiracies. There was no Pax Romana. There was no Roman peace in that period. And for two years, there was persecution of the Christian church and there was political turmoil and uncertainty. During that time, John, who was a Christian leader, was was arrested and sent into exile on the island of Patmos. And from there, he writes this book of Revelation, which is a letter primarily, and he writes it to seven churches. He writes this to real people. And it's pastoral. He's writing to them to encourage them and to strengthen them in the midst of the persecution and the difficulty and the struggle of life that they are experiencing. Think of John's role not as a minister to an individual church, but maybe more like a bishop with a pastoral oversight of a number of churches. And the purpose of the book that he writes, it's about calling them to to recognize the presence of God in their midst with them. It's about spiritual presence, reminding them that Jesus is with them. It says here, to the seven churches, from the seven spirits. That's weird until you realize he's just saying the spirit with each one of your churches. He talks about seven golden lampstands, the presence of Jesus with you as a church, as a people. He's saying to them, no matter how difficult life is, Jesus is with you. The most common promise in the Bible is do not be afraid for I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You've come into church struggling, tired, weary, broken, full of doubts, full of guilt, full of shame. I am with you, says the Lord. You are not on your own. John writes to them to remind them of the presence of God with them, about spiritual presence, but also about spiritual formation. Let's look at verse 6 just for a second together. 
If I could find verse 6. There it is there. Or even verse 5 and 6, apologies. It says, in Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. We, we, we see in the Bible, we believe, we sing, we, we, we proclaim that, that Jesus died on the cross and then he rose again. But it wasn't just an act in history. We're told he is the firstborn from among the dead. That what God did in Jesus Christ, he will do for all of those who trust him, who have given their lives to him. That's why when we bring names forward like we have today and, and we remember them, we are doing more than remembering. We are remembering the promise of God's. That resurrection and new life is the reality and the hope that we have as a people. That death is not the end. Jesus was the first fruits of what God is going to do. And in days like today, we have to remember that and hold on to that, even in the darkest moments. Because, it goes on to say, because he loves you. God knows you and is for you and, and loves you. And this story about Jesus on the cross is a story for you. It is real. It is for you. That you may know that forgiveness, that you may know that love, that you may know that hope in your life. Because we're told he has freed us from our sins. That's the promise of the gospel. To be free from the guilt, from the shame, from the sense of unworthiness and unimportantness that you feel. The misinformation campaign of the devil who whispers lies who tempts you and draws you back into those same mistakes again. Jesus has freed you from your sins and from the consequence of those sins. And invited you to become a kingdom of priests. As a people who are chosen, who are loved, who are forgiven, who are filled with the hope of the gospel, our invitation is to participate with God, telling the story of God. Last Sunday night, we interviewed, it was the end of our shape course, we, we interviewed a lady from this church. It was a really powerful interview. She shared her story, her family story of, of having a, a child who has autism and just the heartbreak and the questions and then the challenges, the joys as well, but also the, the struggles, all of that tied up in her story and her journey. And then she shared how when she was able to not just give her life to God, but, but to give her, her pain to God as well. His invitation to her to become one of a kingdom of priests, to participate in the story of God. How God used her pain and her life experience to open doors into ministry, and now she helps lead our, our For You Too group that welcomes young people and adults with, with different levels of uh, learning abilities and, and different levels of physical abilities into a safe place where they are loved and valued and can just enjoy being together and enjoy Jesus together. 
And then more than that, not just doing it in the church, but doing it in the community as well. And then more than that, sitting on a group we have in church, helping our leadership think through what it is to be more inclusive as a congregation. What things we can do differently to help people with different levels of learning ability and physical ability to engage and to worship and to contribute and to serve and to worship. You see, John writes this letter. It's about pastoral, but pastoral is more than comfort and self-preservation. It might start with a visit and a lasagna and a prayer. Those things are great. But ultimately, pastoral is about helping people who are walking through pain to see Jesus with them in the midst of their pain and to help them discover what he is doing in their lives as they walk through difficult times. And then finally, to help them discover what it looks like to help others to serve others, to love others from their own place of pain. I have a whole new section here to preach and we've run out of time. I'm not going to preach it. I'm just going to say it really quickly. The final point is revelation is about worship. It's about praise and worship. Listen to this. Let's bring the band back up as I do this. Look, he says, with, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen and amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord. The one who was and who is and who is to come. Flip over a couple of pages and you come to holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Flick over again and you see you are worthy to take the scroll and to open it because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I could go on and on and on and on, but interspersed through this whole book of Revelation in the prophetic and the poetry and in the pastoral care that oozes from the pages from the pen of John, we see interruptions of liturgy, interruptions of praise, because this whole book of Revelation is there to capture the reader's eyes, the church's eyes, the people's eyes, and lift them back up onto Jesus. The, the word revelation, it, it, it's apocalypse in Greek. But that doesn't mean death and destruction and judgment. That, that word literally means to reveal. Revelation is not a book that with concealed secrets to be worked out. Revelation is a book that reveals Jesus. It's a book that reveals Jesus. And what John is doing is saying to the church 2,000 years ago and saying to the church today in Belfast and around the world, no matter how difficult, no matter how hard things get, I invite you to choose to make a choice to continue to gather together, 
to make a choice to continue to open up this word of truth, to make a choice to continue to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And no matter how hard your week has been emotionally, no matter how hard your week has been physically, no matter how many temptations you have fallen to, no matter what lies the enemy has whispered and spoken over you during the week, You gather on a Sunday and together we lift our eyes to Jesus and we proclaim truth and we sing truth and we speak truth. And as we do that, the Spirit takes those words and forms our minds and forms our hearts that we are people of truth and people of the book and people of the resurrection and people of hope. And and then we step out these doors as a kingdom of priests to tell an alternative story, to articulate a different reality, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he is good news, that he is hope, that he is love, that he is truth, and it is the message that the world needs to hear. I'm excited about preaching Revelation, can you tell? Let's pray together. Can we stand, if you're able to, can we stand as we pray? We're going to sing one final song in a moment. And then Gary's going to bring our service to a close in prayer. We're going to go out to the car park and have bacon buddies and mingle with the next, sort of the, the 11.30 guys as they arrive. But just for a moment, just now, We want to gaze upon Jesus. We want to fix our eyes upon him. Spirit, help us to see Jesus. It's the the thing you love to do the most. For some, it's about hope. For some of you, it's about truth. For some of you, it's about forgiveness. Just take a moment in silence to gaze upon Jesus. To allow his spirit just to fall upon you and to move within you. life to him afresh this day. Spirit, come and fill your people now. We are a kingdom of priests, chosen by God, loved and forgiven and sent out with God to tell his story in a world that is hurting, in a world that has forgotten him. Give us opportunities this week, Lord. Put your words on our lips and help us, help us not to stray from the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.